0: Welcome to another edition of HPS Insights. We have a great conversation today around the upcoming midterm elections. It is the, the first of what I hope will be a few conversations focusing on the business and policy impacts of a potential change in power in Congress starting uh, this fall with the midterm elections. Um, we have a couple great folks from our team on to discuss where we are about 200 days out from those midterm elections. I did want to make one quick note that we recorded this session a few hours before um, some big news broke from, from Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns, New York Times writers, who are uh, soon to release a new book on the end of the Trump presidency, including some of the events of January 6th. There's been a lot of headlines about um, Kevin McCarthy's uh, actions in the days following that. We do not get into that in this episode. I expect it'll remain a newsworthy uh, element to discuss in future episodes. But for now, we're focusing on what's gonna happen in about 200 days and how that'll impact the, the DC policymaker community. So I hope you enjoy this episode and we'll be back in future weeks with more on this topic.
1: From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast.
0: Welcome back to HPS Insights, a podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, analyzing the current events impacting the business and political communities. I'm your host, Brian D'Angelo, a partner here at HPS. And today I'm bringing in two of our uh, experts, some of our, my colleagues, Jonathan Graffio, who's a managing director here at the firm, um, recently came over to us after a a long career in the Senate, uh, both comms director uh, for the Senate Banking Committee and then deputy staff director for the Appropriations Committee under um, Senator Dick Shelby. And returning to HBS Insights is Stacey Kerr, one of my fellow partners here at the firm. Stacy comes in and does a lot of these fun podcasts with me, and I appreciate it. But Stacey, as many of you listeners know, was a former advisor to uh, Speaker Pelosi. And we're here today to talk a little bit about the, the midterm elections. We are 201 days away from the midterm. I tried my best to, to schedule this for tomorrow, but calendars didn't align. Um, but But we're 201 days out. Uh, There's a lot of talk heating up in in DC just about how the president's doing, how Democrats in power are doing in general. Um, It's looking like a a big Republican wave heading towards us. So I thought we'd all get in the room and start talking a little bit about the likelihood of that conventional wisdom uh, coming true and what that might mean for the work we do here and our clients. So uh, Jonathan, let me, let me pick on you a little bit first. You're, you're the Republican in the room. Um, how's it looking for your party heading into November?
2: It's looking pretty good right now. Obviously, uh, President Biden's approval numbers are in the basement right now. I think you saw uh, Leader McConnell and others come out and uh, kind of needle him about that last week. They're feeling good. They're feeling confident. And I think they've probably got reason to feel that way. Particularly, uh, you know, the, the monster that's hanging out there for, for most people is, is inflation right now, in addition to have being uneasy about what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine. So things are definitely trending in Republicans' direction. In terms of what it might mean for folks going forward, if you have Republicans take over either the, the House and or the Senate – Uh, And then you've still got the the Biden administration there. I think you you shift to looking more at regulatory agencies and things that they can do of their own volition. Same thing with executive orders from the president. Um, So I I think that's probably the the main shift. You'll see Republicans, I think, highlighting stuff like issues like immigration and wanting to shine a spotlight on that, uh, certainly in the in the two years leading into the next presidential election so
0: right around the corner we'll be gearing up for 2024 Before soon you know um, Stacy jump jump in here what do you think the re- the rest of the year looks like and and what does November look like um, with Republicans likely to take control
3: yeah well you know um, this is usually the part in the cycle where we start talking to our clients and everybody's talking about you um, the likelihood of legislation between now and the midterms. So we should talk a little bit about yes, that, but, yes. you know, but, but obviously it's, it, there, there's some, um, some certainly favorable signs for Republicans right now. I agree with Jonathan. I won't be the Democrat to come on here and tell you that, that, um, that, that that's not true. It's all I mean, blue skies, this, yeah. is, this is an uphill battle for um, for Republicans or for, for Democrats, but I think it's important for us to remember but what are midterm elections historically based on? I think it's really three things, and they're all three things that are very present right now. The party in power does usually have a disadvantage yes. in midterm elections. Um, the midterm elections tend to be much more tied to the presidential approval numbers. And as as Jonathan said, we we see a president right now in the I think maybe low forties. It's even dipped into the thirties. That states, is certainly yeah, a he's dipped the
0: thirties. Yep.
3: Big, big problem. Right. I, I think. Um, and then and then finally, just people's perception of the economy and maybe even the world now. And the interesting thing to me about, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. But as we think about what the impacts of this are between now and November and then a, a potential shift in power after November, there's a lot going on that's like perception versus reality. Right. So like we have perceptions of what's going on in the economy and then we have the reality of what's going on. People perceive right. that the economy is terrible. The economy is actually not doing poorly. The economy, by many, many economist metrics, the economy is strong. Inflation is the economy's absolutely on fire, I mean,
0: inflation yeah. side, I it's, mean, it's absolutely humming along.
3: Unemployment. Right. This is a great time to be looking for a job. The, the reality of politics that we all know from where we've worked and that people is that you have to deal with people's perception, not with reality. And that just is an uphill battle for the president and for Democrats who are messaging in this climate. So um, a lot of interesting, I think we'll see some historical things uh, from the past that will guide us over the next six months. And I think there's there's, you know, this is also a, a bit of an unprecedented time that we're coming out of a, a world that feels um, more complicated than ever. And, you know, we don't know what what people are going to ultimately how they're going to feel about that.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree. Certainly perception plays a huge role. And one thing that I would point out, too, that I think goes along with what Stacy is saying is there's a, there's a certain cumulative anxiety in the country from the past several years. If you go back, certainly it was there in the Trump years anyway, but then you had the cultural unrest, you had COVID, you had January the 6th, and now you're looking at inflation, you're looking at uh, unrest. Not to mention
0: global conflict.
2: Global conflict. I I think there's just a cumulative anxiety out there that affects people's perceptions um, and towards on the downside right now. But there is a definite reality that people feel at the grocery store in the checkout line when they're filling up their cars. It, those things are real, and it the the numbers from that economists will point about point out about wage growth and et cetera are also real. But in terms of what people actually feel in their day to day lives, yeah. that's uh, you know wage growth is. It, not as important to you if it's being wiped out by inflation. Right. So.
0: And I do think in in moments of those, that anxiety that you describe, the American people tend to look for balanced government. You know, I don't I, I think with a president of the Democratic Party in power, yeah. they will sort of lean towards Republicans a little more to have that balance. Um now, all things are local and I think some of these races are going to get Pretty entertaining, I say that with air quotes for our for our listeners, but um, I do think Republicans will end up kind of winning back both chambers, managing on a pretty tight margins that we are now already. Um, That's going to be both historically and just where we are a tough a tough thing for Democrats to overcome. Um, But I want to go back to to a little bit of Stacey's point too on perception. I also feel like that's been true of Biden's. Performance that perception and reality are not totally aligned. He actually has passed some major pieces of legislation. He's actually done a great job, I think personally, um, with the global conflict, the the crisis in Ukraine, with um, some of the work here at home on the economy, to the extent the president has influence over that, but. Build Back Better and some of these other issues that just dominated headlines have gave the perception that he's been failing on his agenda, that Democrats as a whole, you know, disagree with me if you don't uh, think that's true. But the question I want to ask is what really can Biden and congressional Democrats do over the next few legislative weeks we have left to maybe notch another win?
3: Yeah, I think we've got what six or seven weeks here before the August recess of real legislating. And then, as you know, people know in a midterm election, not much is going to people spend time in their district. So, we're you know, the fall will not be um, a time for legislating. So, it's a really short time. You know, I think the the biggest thing to watch right now is what happens with the, the. Build Back Better, and whether that can get revived in some form. There are, there are certainly many, I would count myself among them, that were, were, were concerned about the strategy that Democrats employed in a, in a uh, fairly evenly divided Congress of going big, and whether or not that was actually possible with a three-seat majority in the House and a, a, a very evenly divided Senate, um, and strategically, whether that was wisest we see i think maybe the course correction now to realistically what can get revived out of build back better obviously building on the negotiations that happened. i think uh, you know one thing that's going to be different i think with build back better is uh you know all those negotiations were happening in in public yes and yeah. you know they, they, we saw who was coming down to the white house and then they would put out a press release on where they were and you knew where everybody stood and everybody was sort of i think I mean, the white house tells us there's a lot going on in private now. And I, I think, I think we're not going to see I, as I think much. They learned
0: or, a lesson there. Yeah.
3: Roll out, Yeah. In, in public. Um, if they are to get anything done. And once again, we've got, you know, Joe Manchin is a pivotal figure in this and watching what he will support, you know, uh, some of the states like Arizona have a very competitive, one of the, I think four or five most competitive Senate races. And so what, what happens to the senators in Arizona might be even a little different than it was six or eight months ago at the beginning of this cycle. So, um, you know, I, now again, what happens legislatively, is still different than what happens from a messaging perspective. And right. that is where we had a disconnect, right, with, with what's happening in Washington. Inside Washington, Joe Biden is very different than outside Washington, Joe Biden. And we see the White House trying to get him out on the road. They want to get more local press. It's a very smart strategy, I think, because of everything that's going on. It's very hard to get the headlines and the news that you want to make nationally.
0: Yeah. And so far, even with some pretty dismal poll numbers in these states. Um, those incumbents that are, you know, at risk of losing their seat, like Maggie Hassan in, in New Hampshire, are welcoming Biden. I, w- I was I encouraged or at least intrigued to see, you know, her campaigning up there with them, using the president to push the infrastructure bill, to push the work she's doing on that. So um, we'll see if that lasts, you know, incumbents who are in danger tend to distance themselves from, from a president, especially if they're sitting in the high 30s, low 40s. But um, I did notice that yesterday and thought that was a telling sign. Um, but let's take a quick break here. And I want to come back and talk a little bit more about the politics of, of the midterms and what we can expect to see from you know who and uh, what else might unfold over the next few months. You're listening to HPS Insights. We'll be right back.
1: Hamilton Place Strategies, HPS, is an analytical public affairs consulting firm with offices in Washington, D.C., New York, and California. HPS uses substantive analysis to understand complex topics and create public affairs tools to explain issues to target audiences and reach critical stakeholders. We achieve our clients' goals by enhancing understanding of issues, products, and companies, and ultimately improving outcomes. Learn more at hamiltonplacestrategies.com or follow us on Twitter at HPS Insight.
0: We're back on HPS Insights. I'm here today uh, talking with Stacy Kerr and Jonathan Graffio about the uh, 2022 midterm elections. Um, Jonathan, just before the break, we, we were talking about Biden's agenda and the work he's doing. I want to ask you a little bit, what What do you expect to see the Republican playbook be the, the agenda they want to put forward as we get closer to the midterms.
2: Yeah, I think you can expect the obvious. Quite frankly, they're gonna they're gonna keep hammering away on inflation, on the effect that that's having on people in their everyday lives. You've also seen kind of an uptick, and you will consent to continue to see an uptick in focus on immigration, especially as we roll into the summer months, and those cyclical numbers kick up just like they do every summer. Um, Republicans will will focus on that as well. Um, So I I think those are those are a couple of things. Plus, uh, Republicans are going to go after uh, what they see as corporate wokeness, too. I mean, you're seeing it with the situation in Disney and other places right now. Um, That's that's something where they feel like they have an advantage. Um, And so far, it looks like they may.
0: Um, They definitely have the fight to themselves. Democrats are terrible in this regard where we we shy away from that conflict we don't want the president talking about it we don't want to talk about it and we let republicans and it's Brian. it's something that
3: i i think that we've got to get we've i you know i have the opinion that this is this is our new world order this is our era people across the board in politics in business this is going to be the era of shared power it just is like the, like right, the shift from we we talk about it all the time yeah. right the shift from from shareholders to more stakeholders regardless of what party you're in I think that's the era we're in and I think Democrats are going to have to find a way to navigate and be get comfortable with this because I think it, it s- simply seeding it and hoping that it goes away and that we can distract and we can take the high road and talk about kitchen table issues is not going to be enough
0: to, to great s- great we need a good answer yeah totally. k-
2: kitchen table matters it, issues matter to voters but these cultural issues are visceral yeah they, that's what drives people out in a lot of circumstances um
3: so well the cultural the cultural issues have come to the kitchen table now i mean not to be cheesy about it but right like that's no, a
0: good point
2: I'm yeah
3: that's talking what, about yep. with my kids about who's wearing masks at school and who's not wearing masks and what they're going to do and so all of this has become super hyper localized i mean look what was going on with suburban moms in the northeast who were like revolting against masks three months ago right before there was mask mandates these yeah, are the and it's not
0: going away with COVID. The
3: people that people need to win elections yeah so we can't separate the cultural issues from the politics and sort of the moment that we're
2: in. No, I think that's right. And she would kill me if she heard me say this, but I, my wife never cared about politics as all, at all as long as I've been involved in politics. But we live in Northern Virginia, and over the last year, when you've seen those hyper local issues, whether it's about the curriculum or about mask yeah. mandates, those types of things, uh, you know, it really got her interested and involved. So, yeah, I think you're right, Stacey. It's a, the those issues are at the kitchen table
0: now. It's true. I, Jonathan and I are are neighbors, but I've got four or five uh, neighbor dads on a text chain, and I can tell you for years, regardless of twenty twenty election, you know anything that text chain's been about golf and sports, <laughs> and in the last couple months, it's been about. The superintendent for fairfax county schools it's and crazy. it's crazy i can't believe you know that the anger around it and it's a little shocking to me for someone who lives in politics every day yeah but these things are starting to bleed out and they're not going away with COVID ending or hopefully ending or anything else they're they're here to stay um, but
3: so, something else and this is a this is probably a podcast for another time we should like I think companies should really be watching states like Virginia, where you guys are yeah. and see somebody like a Glenn Young can come in, because what we're also going to see, I think, is shifts within the Republican Party, the type of Republican that can get elected, the Democratic Party, the types of Democrats that are going to be attractive to candidates in these districts that are going to matter. And that's that has legs far beyond just these midterm elections, but to have Glenn Youngkin come in as an outsider and then to see what issues he chose and what he picked and how he was able to put together a coalition um, to beat a a really formidable candidate in a state that had been turning, not even purple, really turning blue. I think there's some lessons there.
0: Yeah. yeah, And I think you're skipping over one of the key parts of that. And I, I wanted to ask you both on this. Yunkin gets a lot of credit for the way he managed Trump yep. through that campaign. And I think it's going to be like everyone else in Washington. Maybe I'm stating the obvious. It's going to be really fascinating to watch how Trump engages in these midterm elections, what that says about his own future and I don't know. Is it a? Is it going to help in some states? Be a drag in other states? Is it going to be a drag nationally? Uh, I think there's still a lot of raw, you know, nerves on this stuff across the country.
2: Yeah, he, he provokes that reaction in people. And uh, the, to Stacey's point, never have the political calculations on what will win in a race been more fluid or uncertain. Right. And yeah, in some some cases, people would be. In, especially in Republican primaries, begging Trump to to say something on their behalf, and others would just rather him stay away. Period. Um, and so it's just it's different across the country.
0: Um, and, and it's it's baffling for those of us who are um, students of the history here. Right? If I told you in most election years that the the number one candidate in your party for president hates your potential speaker and the potential majority leader in the Senate hates him. And the guy who's running your Senate campaign arm is not getting along with your potential majority leader. I would say that party's doomed yeah. in November. All of those things are true about Republicans right now. And we're looking at a Republican sweep.
2: Yeah, I think, it, it, honestly, I think that Maybe the person that'll be the biggest factor is not even in an elected position. I think it might be Jay Powell.
0: Yeah, because if
2: we are looking at, certainly they were signaling what six or seven rate increases. That's right. Over the coming years, they were very clearly saying that Russia. The situation in Russia unfolded, and I, I think threw that into some uncertainty. But if inflation keeps ticking up, then I, you know, you might be in a situation where it was where Carter was with Paul Volcker. And is Jay Powell going to play the the Paul Volcker role and choke inflation out? With uh, you influences? know, I, think, I don't know. But if he, if he yeah. I does, think maybe the,
3: Yeah, I think we didn't. I think all of sort of. Well, there was a lot of attention to whether or not President Biden would reappoint Jay Powell. I think it, that might have been the understated, underwatched uh, sort of story of of making a determination of what happens in the next. Two years four years what happens in yeah. the, in the right. presidential election and what that means for what people think about democrats ability to to control the economy from a presidential level so
0: all right we have a couple minutes left here i want to ask one final question let's let's flip conventional wisdom around what's what's the perfect hand democrats need to draw to hold on. Let's let's give rid of the House. I'll be a little realistic. To hold on to the Senate, what do Democrats need to do? Or where do they need to get lucky, I guess, is another way to phrase it.
3: Maybe I'll I'll go first here. I think think (laughs) two things to watch. Senate, House, everything. I think two things to watch. Uh, You know, if I was a company operating in this political climate over the next six months and over the next two years and the presidential election after that, I I would also be watching these regulators next week, guys. Like Lena Khan's getting a full slate of right. She I, yep. I think we're expecting a, a, a confirmation at the FTC where Lena Khan will have a full slate. If you can't legislate, you move to regulation. The regulators in the Biden administration will still be there. to year, you know, whatever happens in a midterm election. Um, so that's one thing to watch. Is still you know, as we move away from legislating, certainly build back better, but what happens out of regulation? Can a quick
0: question there? I'm going to step on my own question here, but on legislating with Republicans holding Congress, should any of our clients, should any of us believe in that Biden-McConnell relationship? Do we get anything productive out of the two of them in 23 and 24? No. No. <laughs>
3: No. Wait, let, me, <laughs> let, me, let me echo that. No.
0: <laughs> Got it. All right. I had to ask. No.
3: I had to ask. No. There's no political advantage for them to work There's together. Not.
0: Yep.
2: Yep.
3: There is not a political advantage. And with things so closely divided, I mean, I think we overstated Democrats having control of everything. You control it. You control the agenda. It means a lot. Don't get me wrong. We have a three seat majority in the House yeah. and an evenly divided Senate. So not only should we be looking at will the will the House and the Senate flip, but by what margins? And then wh- that's where the political incentives people have. And everybody's looking ahead two more years to know yep. nope. how I'm to grow doubt. those majorities. I had to ask. I had to ask. And <laughs> I,
0: I interrupted you, Jonathan. So the, the original question, if you can put a Democratic hat on for a minute, what's the, what's the perfect straight they need to get to hold on to the Senate?
2: Uh, it's tough because you've got hard hitting questions here. macro, macro here factors insurance. going against you. Um, so it, it, part of my hesitation is I, I don't think it's in their hands. I, I think it's a matter of whether inflation can kind of tick down a little bit. Uh, m- maybe the situation in Ukraine. I, I, I'm not an expert there, um, but maybe. You don't know how things will will change on the ground there and how that can inure to the to the president's benefit, depending on how he reacts to it. Um, But those are uh, legislatively. I just don't I don't see it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, my own my own opinion is, yeah, it is the inflation. If we start seeing those numbers tick down without going into a recession, but we're seeing wages go up, we're seeing unemployment low. Yep. inflation tick down i think we obviously have to hold nevada and arizona and new hampshire and um, georgia and then we're really going to have to like get lucky in pennsylvania and one of these others to pull this off yep i think that's right well thank you guys uh my plan is yes um my hope is we do uh, a lot of these between now and election day so i look forward to having Uh, both of you back on and we'll pull in some of our other colleagues as well as we think about the midterms for our clients from the political the regulatory the legislative perspective we'll we'll have plenty to talk about but thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to another episode of, of hps insights Again, special thanks to Jonathan and Stacey for joining. Um, you can download this on any of your favorite podcast apps uh, or find more information about us at hamiltonplacestrategies.com. I'm your host, Brian DeAndreus. As always, thank you for listening.
1: Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights Podcast produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights. And follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com.